stand and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Seat of wisdom. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. This conference is on the topic of devotion. Most people are unaware of the fact that devotion is a virtue in the sense that devotion comes from the Latin word devovere, which means to vow. Hence, devotees are those who are vowed or have vowed themselves to God as being totally subject to him. So the principal end of this virtue is to make us subject more to God. Devotion is nothing other, St. Thomas Aquinas says, than the will, because it proceeds from justice, so devotion is part of the virtue of justice, by which one promptly gives oneself to that which pertains to the service of God. So somebody who is devout is somebody who is very prompt being subject to God by means of being easily and quickly inclined to worship God in a variety of different ways. Um, and so that's what devotion principally means. You're promptly uh, inclined to be willing to worship him, you know, so you worship him at the drop of a hat, so to speak. It pertains to justice. That is, devotion pertains to justice insofar as it pertains to, uh, to worship, because worship is actually under justice as well, because we have an obligation to render God due worship. And therefore, devotion properly pertains to the virtue of religion, so a person, who's, a person who is irreligious, for example, is never going to be devout. The extrinsic cause, or the cause principally of devotion, is God. God is the primary cause of it, so you can't be devout unless God causes it. However, the intrinsic cause, that is that which is in us, of devotion is meditation and contemplation. In other words, in order to, since devotion is a virtue which inclines my will to quickly fall into service to God because I'm subject to Him, then it becomes a habit. I develop this habit I, by frequent actions. So I do acts of devotion, which we'll talk about a little bit of the different kinds. If I do them frequently, then I develop a habit of being devout, and so that when people ask me to pray or things like that, I'll be less inclined to resist. I'll be more wanting to pray, or I'll, I'll want to. Um, uh, to go to the devotions with specific, the specific devotions that the church has, for instance, at um, uh, at St. Francis or wherever you go, happen to go to church. Devotion is increased or consider or, um, is increased or prompted by consideration of God's divine goodness and the works that He performs. Devotion is an act by which one promptly gives one will over to God. So someone who is devout is just willing to surrender to God, just wants to give it over to Him. And this can only occur when w the will is presented as object by the intellect which contemplates or meditates. So what that means is, is that in order for us to develop this habit in the will, we have to contemplate those good things about God and those other things that uh, are manifest in these various devotions, such as the Sacred Heart and things like that, we have to contemplate those intellectually so that our will will be inclined to want to submit to him and to submit to these good things. 
devotion is also prompted by the consider of our own defects, which shows our unworthiness of God when we realize we're totally unworthy of him, and yet he still bestows all these good things on us. We begin to realize how good he is, and so it inclines our will to want to be subject to him. Because we want to, basically, we want to be subject to those things that give us good things. This devotion destroys presumption, which causes us not to be subject to God. Because presumption flows from pride in which a person just thinks, well, I can do what I want, and I'm still going to get God's mercy or whatever. Whereas it's the other way around. True devotion, that is devotion in the proper sense, tends to destroy our presumption, realizing that we have to be subject to God and His will if we're going to attain what is ultimately best for us. Those who are devout are those whose wills and lives are subject to God and also to divine things not in themselves, like so for instance we're subject to other saints and things like that we're not subject to them in themselves but in so far as we're being subject to God by being subject to them those who have the virtue of devotion like all the virtues have to gain this by repeated action and like other virtues those who are devout get a great joy out of being subject to God out of employing the various devotions and various means which God provides in the church. The person actually gets a great joy out of being devout. So you have devotion, which is the virtue, which promptly helps us to be subject to God, and then you have what are called devotions, which are actions or things that can be used in order to help me to be subject so that I can develop this virtue. So what are the various devotions? There are different kinds of devotions, and one has to develop the devotions based on a few things. So sometimes people will say, you know, work on this devotion, or work on that devotion, or which devotion should I work on? And the first one that one should work on is those devotions which are suitable to one's state in life. You've heard me talk about that before. And this is important because it helps one to fulfill his, his duties and his state in life. So, for instance, if you're a father, then you should, it's good to develop a devotion to St. Joseph to help you to, um, to be a good father and a good, um, a good husband. Uh, uh, then there's also another criteria, which is what your spiritual needs are. So not only is it what, what is your state of life, where am I at in my life, who do I need to go to. Of course, Our Lady applies in every case, and there's a few other instances that apply in every case. But some of the devotions are very specific, so that I, I look to see if how they're going to help me in my state in life. But then there's also those which pertain to our spiritual needs. And what this means is the person has to look at some particular defect they might be struggling with, and then you pray to the saint that might have overcome that or fought against that and help him or ask him to help you to overcome these particular defects. So, for instance, if a person suffers from mental illness, you go to St. Dymphna, you know, please help me overcome this. Why? Not because she was mentally ill, but because her father was mentally ill, and yet she remained faithful despite her father's poor treatment of her. And so you, but there's also other spiritual needs, um, and some of them can just be um, not only spiritual needs, but just material needs. So, for instance, if someone is having a hard time carrying their child to birth, then they can pray to St. Gerard or something like this. So you, you need to find out what the, and do a little bit of study to find out which saints or which types of devotions will help you to obtain the spiritual benefit that you're looking for. Then there is also, we take, have to take into consideration our dispositions. God indicates to us the perfections he wants us to excel in based upon our dispositions. And so as a result, he also gives kind of an indication of 
which kinds of people he wants to be devotees of which saints and things like that. And he does this based upon our dispositions. I often tell people that, you know, I, uh, I have a great appreciation intellectually for the work and the life of St. Francis of Assisi. But I must confess I never pray to the guy because this Franciscan disposition just doesn't fit me. I'm more Dominican or something of that sort. So, but that doesn't mean I can't have an appreciation. It doesn't mean you denigrate other devotions. It just means that one develops one based upon one's dispositions. And that's important because sometimes when parents are trying to encourage their kids to do some some devotions apply to regardless of your disposition, like to our later, to the Sacred Heart, or things like that. But other ones are very specific to people, and so it's a good idea to, you know, look at the child, look to see what dispositions he has, and then maybe encourage those particular saints or those particular types of devotions for him. The first object of devotion, so when you're looking at the various kinds of objects or, or um, saints that we can have a devotion to, very often the, the spiritual writers will talk about that the first object of devotion has to be God himself, obviously. But in connection to this, they often say that our first devotion should be to the Mass itself. Because Christ, who is present, sacrifices himself, and so by seeing that sacrifice and having a devotion to um, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, we are more prompt, we will be more prompt to subject ourselves to God also, since devotion is connected to worship, and which we are inclined to easily fall into worship, then we have to foster devotion to the Mass, because we should be able to, you know, want to go to Mass, and quickly, you know, when we get there, you know, kind of can't wait till it starts, you know, type of thing. We should be inclined that way. So, those who have developed a rightly ordered devotion to the Mass are called liturgically pious, or liturgically devout, there is an authentic notion of liturgical piety, so that a person gains a devotion not only to the specific or to the sacrifice of the Mass, but also the prayers within the Mass, which help to foster our devotion to God. This is one of the reasons why which Mass you go is, is so important. Sometimes, um, you know, it used to be, under the old code of canon law, that whatever parish you lived in, that's the Mass you had to go to. You had to go to that parish. You were not supposed to go to the other parish unless it was necessary. And the reason they did this is because they didn't want people parish shopping. Well, in the new code of canon law, which is somewhat of providential, even though in, in principle it's not a good idea, but in the practicality it does help out a bit, is now you're not bound to that anymore. So people parish shop, and they tend to find the parish that suits their disposition, which is okay, but uh, a few things have to be kept in mind about that. You don't go to a place because you happen to like, you know, Father Ralph's, totally no one here's name's Ralph, Father Ralph's, uh, you know, his mass. I like Father Ralph's mass, or I like so-and-so's mass. That's not the way it should be. It should be that I'm devoted to the specific mass, and that's why I'm, I, I want to go to this mass. But it's also understandable that this is one of the reasons why personality has to be minimized in the liturgy, because priest personality can't sustain anything for any length of time. And so what happens is is that if the priest personality gets old, then people start looking somewhere else. And it shouldn't, the priest personality shouldn't be mediating the liturgy at all for us because it tends to affect our liturgical devotion or piety. Rather, it should be based strictly on the ritual. But this also means that it's good to find a priest who says Mass devoutly because then it also helps people when they see the example of the priest saying Mass devoutly. It helps them to enter uh, into the Mass more devoutly. 
devotions are also to the particular sacraments. So you can have a devotion to, um, for instance, confession. People who like to go to confession do it because it helps them to be more subject to God. Then there is also what we call paraliturgical devotions, which most of you know, like, for instance, the Station of the Cross. And this helps one to meditate on all of the virtues. St. Thomas Aquinas says that Christ preaches all the virtues from the cross, such as meekness. You know, he didn't get angry when he was on the cross, even though they were whipping him and things like that on the way there. He, um, he preached humility, you know, even though um, he could have just laid waste to everybody that had anything to do with it. He humbled himself and accepted the will that, that, God, had give, uh, that God, had, um, God the Father had chosen for him. It also manifests his benignity. So we see that God does good things for us, and that helps us to be more devout to him and his benevolence. We also see his charity and the spirit of mortification there. And also it helps us to develop a contrition for our sins because we recognize how sorrowful we should be in the fact that God basically had to hang upon the cross because we didn't have our act together. So stations of the cross are quite beneficial. Then there's also Eucharistic devotion, which of course is uh, closely connected to the Mass, and of course that's connected to devotion to God. Then there's uh, processions that the church used to hold. They don't hold them much anymore, but there used to be processions during certain times of the year, and so people would have a certain devotion to these processions because during the processions you'd be praying for specific things. You'd do the litany of the saints and things like that. The rosary is also a very powerful devotion, um, not the least by any stretch of the imagination, and which we'll talk about tomorrow at Mass. Then there's also the objects of devotions. Now these are by no means exhaust the paraliturgical or also um, the prayers and the different kinds of prayers um, that uh, foster devotion. But then there's also objects of devotion. So for instance, uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart. The Sacred Heart is kind of an object in the sense that we, we can look at it and contemplate it, but ultimately it's a manifestation of, of God's goodness and, and uh, mercy to us. This devotion, of course, begets meekness and humility. So if you're dealing with anger, pride, or things of this sort, or um, virtually any sin, because all sins have their, vir or their root in, uh, in pride, the opposite of which is humility, working on a devotion to the Sacred Heart will help you to develop the virtues much more rapidly. Also, the devotion to the Sacred Heart does a general tempering of the soul, not just in relationship to anger, but also in the relationship to food and um, things that we tend to be attached to, that if we have a strong devotion to the Sacred Heart, it will temper us so that we're less inclined to grasp for these things. In other words, it makes us more detached. Christ has the 15 promises to those who are devoted to the Sacred Heart, and, so Christ, and this subjection to the Sacred Heart means that God will give us certain things if we try and subject ourselves to him. Then there is, of course, the devotion to Mary. And you can read, uh, if you haven't already, uh, read St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. If you're an adult and you've been in the traditional movement for any length of time you haven't read that book, that's a shame. That you should be ashamed of yourself. Because it is by far the pivotal and perhaps the best book ever written on devotion to Our, say, to, um, to our Lady. Even though St. Bernard... Um, and even St. Ambrose, if I'm not mistaken, but St. Bernard wrote an awful lot of stuff about Our Lady. But the good thing about St. Louis de Montfort is, is it takes all the writings of patristic St. Bernard being one of them, and perfects it in its expression so that you get a clear understanding of precisely what true devotion is. And one of the good things in there is he talks about how devotion has to be consistent. 
You have to keep doing it. You have to keep after it. You have to keep praying the rosary and keep praying to Our Lady and make it consistent. This devotion is also good because devotions, insofar as they help us to subject our wills to God, have to follow the order of reality. Now, it is a fact that Our Lady can get anything she wants from God. She just asks for it, she gets it. That's why St. Louis de Montfort says she's quasi-omnipotent, not in herself, but insofar as all she's got to do is ask and she gets it. Well, if we follow the order of reality, that means that we should have a certain devotion to her because um, that means we can get, if we can get her on our side, we can get anything we want. So it's a good idea to, uh, to pray to her, but it's also a recognition that God wants us to be subject to her and he wants us to have a devotion to her by virtue of the fact that he made her queen of heaven and earth and endowed her with so much power and so much uh, capacity to affect our lives. The fact that all of us, after her crowning, she became the mediatrix of all graces, which meant that all of us, any grace that any of us have ever received, have come through her hands, which means we're totally at her mercy, in a certain sense, to provide these things for us. Then you can also have a devotion to individual saints, such as the, the, your own patron name. So, for instance, if, you're, if your name is Aloysius, then you develop a, a devotion to St. Aloysius. I keep trying to get somebody to name their kid Hermenegeld, but nobody seems to be uh, listening to me. But anyway, so, but you can, you can uh, foster specific devotions uh, to, the, to the, the, the name of the saint that you have. This is one of the reasons why naming your children after saints is so important because it also, get, it, as an act of devotion on our part, by naming them uh, after this saint, it also provides a particular p a protector for the child. I'm always nervous when, you know, they changed it again. It used to be you had to name your kid after a saint, but they changed that now, and they said that as long as it's not offensive to, to Christian, you know, uh, piety. But, you know, when you're naming your kid, you know, Sterling or, you know, uh, what's another name? That's you know different colors or things like that. You know, I'm a little nervous about that because what what spiritual benefit does the kid benefit from it? I mean, he doesn't get anything from it spiritually by naming him. You know, I have this friend of mine. His name is Beautiful Brown. I'm like, I mean, you know, it's in a different language. So when people hear him, it doesn't sound so bad to us, but it's silly. Anyway, of course, I never told him that because I didn't want to offend his mother. But. Uh, anyway. <coughs> You can also develop a strong devotion to um, the name of your spouse, specifically if you're trying to help your spouse overcome defects or if you're just trying to um, yourself become holy. You can also develop devotion to your children's name and to your parents' uh, um, patron saint names. Uh, one of the saints that I have a particular strong devotion to is Saint um, Anthony, uh, I tell this story and every two and do he gets me into, he, he gets mad at me but I'll say that anyway because it does help a little bit when I used to I used to pray to him all the time and I, it didn't matter what I prayed for anytime I'd ask for something like for instance if I needed to find something if it was findable I always recovered it within 24 hours always and my, my father's middle name is Anthony and uh, I've always had kind of a strong devotion to him even though he's a Franciscan don't tell the Dominicans that. But uh, one time I told them, okay, look, you get me three. I told them, I need three votive candle stands for St. Francis. So if you get me three, I'll make sure one gets put in front of your statue. Well, the first one shows up, and I said, well, that's only one. That's not good enough. I need three. 
So the third one goes to yours. This one has to go to Our Lady. So then, it's, then about a week later, another one showed up, and so I put that in front of St. Joseph's. I need one more. Well, by that time, I was transferred. He got mad at me, and he wouldn't listen to my prayer. So I said, well, I'm not putting up with this. So I just kept praying to him, kept bugging him, and finally now he's back to, hopefully he's not getting mad at me for saying this, now he's, now he's back to, if I pray to him for anything that I need to find, he'll get it to me within 24 hours. It's a very powerful devotion um, to St. Saint, to Saint Anthony. He's one of the most powerful saints that I'm aware of. But sometimes, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing about having a devotion to a particular saint, because... Saints are human beings, too, and so sometimes they see specific people, and they just have a liking for certain people over others. And so as a result, sometimes, you know, you come along and say, you know, this devotion to St. Anthony is really powerful. And the next guy tries, and he doesn't get anywhere. You know, well, sometimes the saints, you know, they have free will, too. But um, so sometimes they they tend to favor some people more than others. So you shouldn't feel bad if you're praying to a specific saint and he doesn't listen to you at all. Unless you're talking about Our Lady, then you're in big trouble. All right. Because anybody should be able to develop a devotion to her and be able to get uh, what they need. Our Lady's a bit more universal in that respect. Uh, You can also develop a strong devotion to your confirmation saint. Um, The confirmation saint should actually play a very pivotal role in your life. my own confirmation saint is St. Thomas Aquinas, and he has played a very pivotal role in my own life. I still have an obligation to him because I told him, if you get me the answer to my doctoral dissertation, which he did grant me in prayer, I said, if you get that to me, I'll make sure I visit your uh, your place of burial in Italy, and I still haven't gotten around to doing that, so God willing, I'll be able to chance to get that. But if you develop a strong devotion to your confirmation saint, then they can help you. You know, it's kind of interesting because the name you name a child tends to almost mark them for life. You know, certain people, they get names and you're just like, oh, you can just tell this person's life is going to be a disaster just by the name. Other people, they get certain saints' names and they, um, you just know that they're going to have, you know, this person's going to be successful, you can just tell it by their name almost. Not always, of course, because there is free will. But the name does tend to have a, a great impact. My brother's confirmation saint, if I'm not mistaken, is St. Martin de Poor's. Now, do you know what happens when you have a strong devotion to St. Martin de Poor's? Well, you end up with all sorts of rats in your house. So, and it's true, every time my brother would pray to St. Martin de Purse, he always got what he wanted, but then the rats were all over the place. Which is actually a sign. It's a divine sign that, yeah, he's there helping you out. Okay. So, the saints can also, you should also pray to those developed saints that help you can fulfill your state in life, which I mentioned before. Says so to St. Joseph, Our Lady, your guardian angel. You should, have a, you should have a devotion to your guardian angel. Because the more devotion you have to him, since he's consigned to your care and protection, the more you pray to him and and depend on him, the more power he has to defend you and to protect you and to guide you. Then there's also devotions to blessed objects, not in themselves again, but insofar as a devout use of them leads us to God, such as a devout use of holy water and crucifixes, statues of our Lord and Our Lady, and things of this sort. Votive candles are an ancient tradition in the Catholic Church. They, reprima- they, re- they re- represent a number of things uh, at a variety of different levels. And it is astounding that the practice of votive, ca- the use of votive candles has all but faded. It's, it's really unfortunate. Votive candles are lit as a sign of faith because the candle is always a manifestation of faith insofar as it's a light. And, and faith is kind of a light that illumines the intellect and so the candle has always represented this light of faith. And it's also a sign of trust in the person whose honor the candle is lit. Uh, 
It also represents a desire of the person to keep a vigil before the saint. So, for instance, when we light a vigil candle or votive candle in front of a saint, then what that's a sign of is that we can't be there 24 hours a day to pray for you, but I want the saint to see that I'm here, that in, at least in intention, by lighting this candle, which burns 24 hours a day, that this is what I, I that my prayer and my desire for this thing is still going on, even though I'm not here present. Because of our hectic lives, which involve labor and distractions, we are unable to pray constantly and to keep a constant vigil. And so this is one of the reasons why we should try and develop that lighting, uh, that devotion of lighting these candles. This also means that we wish to light the candles a reminder to the saint or to our lady of our devotion to them so that when they look down from heaven upon the candle, they will see a constant reminder of our devotion. Normally, people light candles and petition for particular favor, and this is a good and holy practice, and that's very often what it's done for. Sometimes people erect statues of saints, which they have a devotion to as an additional sign of their devotion. Um, one of the things I really liked about Europe, and you see it every so often here, Father Picus has started to get one up, but the corpus hasn't been put on. Every so often I like to give um, our maintenance our maintenance man there kind of a hard time and say, how's that corpus coming along? But the, uh, they used to erect um, uh, crucifixes with little... Um, roofs over the top of them and so people as they would pass by could stop for a moment and reflect and pray you know at the at the at, the, uh, at that site where they had erected the um, the cross the cult of the saints that is the honor we give to certain saints who are dear to us helps us to grow closer to God who shines forth in the perfections of the saints and so various prayers to the saints and the various for, uh, forms of devotion can be used to help us to um, become closer to God through the saint. Some of the litanies, for example, such as the litany of the saints or the litany of, our, uh, of Laredo and the litany of the Sacred Heart are very good because the specific petitions or the specific things mentioned give us a clear indication of some perfection which God is manifesting through that and then that incites, incites our mind and our heart and so as a result we want to emulate that and by doing that we've we start to foster devotion, which helps us to be more subject to God. It can also, these can also stir up in us a desire to do good acts for the sake of God and his saints. Carrying and wearing of medals and scapulars is an act of devotion, as a sign of trust to, our, to Mary and to the saints, to protect us and guide us is a most salutary practice. So, for instance, wearing the scapular is very good, because by that, especially when we say the prayer, like in the morning and, and that type of thing, in relationship to it, it helps us to place ourselves under the protection because a scapular is a kind of shield that helps us to place ourselves under the protection of Our Lady. Praying daily guidance to our guardian angels, I mentioned before, to other angels helps us to foster devotion to our heavenly companions. If you get to heaven, you're going to spend the rest of your life with them, or the rest of eternity, I should say, with them. So you might as well start making the friendship now and fostering the devotion now. Who knows? If you become holier than them, they might have a devotion to you. Making novenas is a good way for us to foster devotion and to realize our dependence on God, our leader and our saints for all the needs in our life. So making devotions or making novenas is very important, especially when there's something serious in our life and we really need to petition for it. And so very often we have to look like if you're looking for a job, sometimes guys are having a hard time finding jobs today and I tell them we'll make a novena to St. Joseph you know, the worker, and very often they'll find a job. Uh, this is praying with St. Anthony to find a job. You know, even though he's the patron of lost articles, I tell people, look, he'll help you find anything. 
whether it's lost or not. So even when I'm trying to find a parking spot and getting irritated, I'll say, St. Anthony, help me find a parking spot. I'll turn the corner and there's one. So. Setting up a small shrine to our later St. Joseph, the sacred heart of the saints within our homes, helps us to foster devotion and love for the mystical life in our children and ourselves. So we have to make sure that we have pictures and statues and things of that so that we, our, our minds are drawn to these things. I tell people, you know, you have to make sure you have good um, sacred art in your house so that your ch- children see that and they're, they're inspired. Not the type of art that takes you five minutes to figure out what it is, but the type of art that the minute you look at it, the beauty of the art naturally draws the person into it. Putting up pictures and statues will draw our minds and hearts to heaven in order to help us fulfill the desire of Christ that we might pray always. And this contributes directly to our devotion to, the, the devotion to God. Another devotion most pleasing to our Lord is when we stop at the traditional hours of noon or at six o'clock to recite the Angelus or another hymn to our lady based upon the time of the year it is. Meditations on the words of Christ help us to have great zeal for the salvation of souls and a greater ardor for entering into the passion of Christ, especially at Holy Mass. So sometimes fostering a devotion to the wounds of Christ or to the holy face of Christ or things like this are also very beneficial. Sometimes it is good to ask God for greater devotion and to pray for those virtues which aid us in making acts of devotion. So if you want to be more devout and be more holy, then you simply have to do what? You have to perform these actions, and then that will help you to enter into the spirit of devotion more perfectly. One of the things that can help a great deal in this is to make acts of faith, hope, and charity, and acts of thanksgiving and of humility and sorrow for your sins, so that God will see that and then give you greater devotion. Because by doing these things, like for instance in the act of faith, we're trying to subject our intellect more perfectly to what he has taught us in Revelation. And through hope we try and, and seek after him. And through charity we subject ourselves entirely to him because we love him. Also by the acts of thanksgiving is a good act of devotion because it recognizes that by being subject to him anything that he gives us is from his own benevolence and so we should be thankful and appreciate what he gives to us. Sometimes stopping for a short time, especially if one cannot make it to daily Mass and making a short spiritual communion helps to inflame desire for union with Christ. The moral of the story is is that the number of devotions in the church are just almost immeasurable or innumerable. And so what people need to do is spend a little bit of time helping them uh, to spend some time coming to knowledge of these things uh, in order to do, to know which ones that they you know might like. Uh, one of the things that concerns me is you know parents. One of the reasons why we had such a collapse in the faith after the Second Vatican Council is because before the Second Vatican Council, even shortly right after, people thought that they fulfilled their obligations, religious obligations to their children if they just sent them to, uh, if they took them to Mass, got them to confession every now and then, and then sent them to a Catholic school. That's just completely false. The parents have to work on fostering the virtues in their children at home. And one of the principal things that they have to do is work on making their kids devout by getting them into the habit of making these prayers and turning to the saints and turning to Our Lady and to the Sacred Heart at times of need or whenever they want to advance in holiness. The parents have an obligation to, to help their children foster those habits. It's not just enough you send your kid to school. That's not enough. You have to work on these things specifically with your children. And if that means, you know, come come on, we're saying the rosary now. I want to say the rosary. Well, get over here and say it. Sometimes that's what it takes. Devotion is normally associated with prayer, and so it can help 
us to foster a life of prayer and virtue by increasing our devotion. People who are devout, whose uh, wills are very prompt to wanting to worship God, will simply worship God. And that's, that way we worship God is principally through prayer. And so people who are devout are more likely to be prayerful people, and vice versa. The more prayerful you are, the more likely you are to be devout. So to increase your devotion, you have to make acts of devotion. You have to read books on the particular devotions and the saints, and you have to pray. Now, this call comes with a word of warning. Sometimes you'll find somebody who has, uh, you know, they say, I'll ask them, well, you know, what's your prayer life like? And then, you know, it's kind of like the guy who opens up the wallet with all the credit cards. These are all the prayers I say first thing in the morning. This is to St. Joseph. This is to... And they go down the whole litany. Now, the problem is, is that human beings, because of our nature, can't enter into something very deeply unless we do it a lot and we kind of restrict ourselves to paying attention to one thing for a while. So what that means is, is that you shouldn't develop, you know, a hundred different kinds of devotions because then you'll end up doing them all, you know, with mediocrity and not with a lot of depth. You have to pick a few that's, that you find efficacious for yourself and very, very good um, and fit, that fit your disposition, your state of life, etc., and foster those and become proficient in those. And then, you know, sometimes maybe in the course of your life something will come up and they say, well, you know, maybe I need to pray to say so-and-so for that. But um, you don't want to you don't want to let it become too much, because ultimately the devotions are there to make you more subject to God, not make you more subject to saying 500 prayers first thing in the morning. The other thing is too is there are certain devotions which apply to every one of us that we should all be fostering, which I mentioned somewhat. The devotions to Our Lady, all of us should be working on. Devotions to Sacred Heart, all of us should be working on. Devotions to God, of course, obviously, that's the goal. That's what we should be working on. And so there are certain ones which we all should be working on, and then the other ones are more based upon our particular states in life, or where we're at, who we are, and things of that sort. And so we need to work on those devotions, particular to our state. And then you'll find, if you do that, if you enter into them um, seriously and sincerely, that as the devotion increases, then the effects that that devotion promise will become more manifest, and it will become more efficacious in your own life. Okay, if you'll kneel, I'll give you a blessing. Benedictio Deo Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti et Supervos et Maniat Semper.